it's quite interesting to think about what it was like when about 2,500 years ago, this person by the name of the Awakened One, the Buddha, appeared in India. The interesting thing is to recognize how novel and how different it was what he came to understand and what he came to speak about. When we look at uh, religions that are defined or that define themselves on a specific core belief, on specific scriptures, on prescriptions of this or that, it was quite different what he said. Here comes this person called the Buddha, and the first thing that he says is, well, life is inherently unsatisfactory. And that made people really listen. Oh, what is this guy saying? All life is incomplete. All life is inherently not satisfying in itself. And that spoke to a lot of people because the deepest root of human beings' spiritual thirst is based upon a recognition that we are incomplete. And there are various different ways of attending to that. There are many different ways, and all of these ways have their place. This is not to say that the way of the teachings of the Buddha, or even Zen, or the Inzai Zen, whatever you may call it, is better than any of those other parallel, equally important and equally valid approaches. But there is an approach to find and to look for that completion, to make something whole that feels broken, to find a home for someone who feels not at home. One of the ways to attend to that problem is to develop a very firm belief in this or that teaching. And that helps a lot of people. There are many very strong believers. And as long as those beliefs are benevolent and do not discriminate against other human beings believing in other things, that is perfectly acceptable. It's wonderful if you meet somebody who has truly found their faith and who has truly found it in a way that is inclusive rather than compartmentalizing and rejecting of anything but their own belief. So the Buddha said, all life is dukkha. Dukkha was translated often as suffering. Not being satisfying is another way to say it. Incomplete is another way to say it. And what the Buddha taught is that there is a way to see through it. How is it that this principle works? And how can we as human beings come to an understanding and to an embodiment of that understanding that allows us to live a life that is fulfilled, a life that in the end is okay with knowing that this human consciousness is incomplete.
but also being offered the opportunity to explore and to find out by ourselves. There's very little prescriptive teaching in the teachings of the Buddha. Now, of course, you might say, yes, there are these rules, the Vinaya, very strict rules for ordained, and that the elder teachings that came a couple of hundred years after the Buddha had passed away, they are very codified. But of course, Buddhism as an ism developed in the forming of those scriptures through human beings. Some of these scriptures, if you take them literally, will teach you certain things, but none of them will be able to replace your own exploration and your own seeing that, ah, oh, yeah, yes, that is how it is. And not much is really needed to do that. You don't have to read any books. You don't have to believe in anything that anyone tells you. In fact, you are encouraged to question everything. Question everything. Not only what you hear from others that sounds believable or that sounds unbelievable, but even more, you have to question so far that you question, who is it who is questioning? And to get to a deep understanding that you experience and you know what is at the core of all of this. There are methods to come to completion from an outside-in approach. You believe in this, you will be complete. Or some people believe and have faith and have the feeling of completion, of completeness, of peace of mind, hanshin. But following what Siddhartha Gautama did himself, questioning everything, trying all the different ways of practices, and arriving at an awakening to something that had been there from the very beginning is a different approach. Again, it's not a value judgment that this or that approach is more worthy. The only judgment that we have to make as individuals is if we want to undertake such an exploration, such an investigation into the matter of our own birth and death, into the matter of what it means to have consciousness, to exist in society, but also to exist within the universe. And all of it begins very, very basic. The basis of Zazen, of this seated meditation, is following the breath. Just to allow ourselves to have our mind gently settle and gently rest on a physical, physiological, a corporal event that has been with us from the very moment we came into this world. To attend to that that we take often as granted, that we don't even think about 
and you can't even think it away or you can't really willfully do anything against your breath. You can stretch it, you can deepen it, you can stop it, but only for so long. The activity of Dharma or the activity of time, the activity of nature does not subject itself to human desires, to the human will. You can hold your breath. If you're really stubborn, you'll pass out, but nature will take over and you will continue to breathe. Becoming familiar with what we are and where we are is discovering the nature of human consciousness, the unity, the oneness of not only what we call mind and body, but ultimately oneness of everything that exists. No I and you, no this and that, no subject, no object, but just complete oneness. But again, even that is not static. Everything moves, everything changes. Impermanence, anicca, mujo in Japanese. Anicca is a manifestation of that constant change. And as we become more and more familiar with it and as we become more and more familiar with our own nature and the setup where there are tendencies to hold on, to attach, where there are traumatic experiences and memories that we hold either in our bodies or in our psyche, there we can learn and apply and start to begin to be again in accord with that activity of nature, that activity of impermanence, that activity of change. None of this is based upon belief. Be with your breath. Follow it as it comes in, as it goes out as it has these opposing points of stillness at the end of the inhalation, at the end of the exhalation. Explore and become intimate and familiar with the start of a new inhalation, the awakening of the activity of exhalation. And you will become intimately familiar with the activity of Dharma, the activity of change. No belief is necessary. No reading is necessary. Just giving the space and the time to allow ourselves to undertake this journey, this exploration, this investigation, of what the nature of this, of reality, of life, 
of I am, of the universe, of nothingness, whatever you want to call it, what it truly is. And then from there, expressions of that understanding will begin to change how we live our lives. It is not necessary a revolution or something that changes what we do, but what fundamentally changes and what completely is different is how we live. The journey starts with the first step and then every step following is the most important step. Every breath is the most important breath. Expectations need to be left behind. Fears will fall away. Doubts will fall away. And there isn't even any time to hesitate. One regains a nimble way of being able to roll with the punches of life, to adapt instantly to the needs of the situation in society, in the workplace, in the family, wherever. And that then ultimately is the embodiment of that understanding of what all of this is about. One breath at a time.